This is a moral call right here. This is not about politics. This is about morality. Health emergencies can't wait for us to have some theoretical debate about some better idea that will never, ever come to pass. We are behind every country pretty nearly in Europe in this matter of medical care for our citizens. I'm a physician. That means you have a right to come to my house and conscript me. It means you believe in slavery. Hello, everybody. My name is Benjamin Day. I, on the other hand, am Jillian Mason. I'm glad you're a different person than me. This is Medicare for All, the podcast for everybody who needs healthcare. Today's topic is da, 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 digital healthcare dystopia. Whoa. It's going to be a very dark, creepy, but somewhat boring movie about our, <laughs> our, <laughs> about our futuristic current selves. So hike up your trousers, throw on some long socks. We are getting into the weeds on this one. This is a little bit policy heavy, but we promise it will be equally depressing as non-policy stories we tell about the healthcare system. So we're going to talk about, and this is going to be tough throughout this episode, the digitization, digitization of our healthcare system. I and think that just good. I, I like how that word forces you to talk like a robot. Digitization, <laughs> digitization. of our of our healthcare system. Uh, we're going to be talking about its impacts on data privacy and patient health outcomes. Mm -hmm. I promise you, you're going to be somewhat shocked and surprised by how important actually the health record systems are on our whole healthcare system and on our personal health lives. Um, so we're going to talk about the rise of the electronic health record management systems. I know that sounds very exciting. Oof. Then we're going to talk about, this might surprise you, but it is a $13 billion per year industry, truly massive. And I actually didn't know this until our researcher did the research for this episode, but the whole industry mostly emerged in the wake of the Affordable Care Act very, very recently, just you know, within the last 20 years, which is shocking. So... Electronic systems, they, obviously, they were meant to modernize the healthcare industry. In general, they're a good thing to have a proper working EH health record system. Mm. But they have led to rampant inefficiency, inflated costs, negative health outcomes for patients. Big healthcare plus big tech equals it's a match made in hell, just <laughs> as you could kind of imagine with the Wild West of, of healthcare in the United States. Unholy union. The yes. only thing that's worse than like a healthcare industry bro is a tech bro. And in this oh, case, man. they're the it's same both. bro. Yeah. Yeah. It's terrible. It's a bro bro nightmare. <laughs> so Jillian, maybe you can kick this off by just talking about like the real basics of like, what is what do we mean when we're talking about the digitization of healthcare? And like, what's the just a profile of this brand new industry mm, yeah. that's sprung up? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's basically what you would think, right? You know, if you recall, for those of our older listeners, if you recall back in the 20th century, when you went to the doctor, the doctor would walk in with a folder with all of your information in it. And that was your medical record. Now, obviously, we have better ways of storing information than folders now. And so the idea was we could make everything a little bit more efficient if we actually did this digitally. So basically, this is about, you know, your medical data, and how it's stored and accessed, right? So you want to think about like how who puts the data in who gets to access the data, etc, cetera, etc, cetera, right. And that could be anything from test results, to doctor's appointments. And also, as we're going to hear a little bit later things like monitoring your glucose with a oh, digital right, right, right. you know thing that's connected to your phone just somewhat high stakes yeah 
There's a lot. Uh, like Ben was saying, right, this all really underwent a massive transformation um, after the passage of uh, the Affordable Care Act, aka Obamacare in 2010. And basically, the government invested at that time around $36 billion taxpayer money to incentivize uh, companies to actually create these electronic health record systems. Mm -hmm. And the intent was to modernize everything, right? Improve patient access to information, coordinate care, reduce the disparity between healthcare providers by providing access to information. So many Sound positive like noble things. causes. So many positive <laughs> things. And then uh, also the High Tech Act was passed in uh, 29. It's high tech is an acronym. It's who gets for to name these acts. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I hope it's Biden. I, I, right. I hope he was just sitting there in his office. High tech, eh? So yeah, it's the it's it's an acronym. It stands for the Health Information Technology for Economic and Clinical Health. Nailed it. I don't know what economic <laughs> health is, but I know I don't have it. <laughs> They had to get the acronym. <laughs> you had to stick an E in there somehow. Oh, man. But that, again, created these huge financial incentives for providers to actually transfer their records from paper to these electronic health record systems. Right, right. And the wild thing is that these incentives, well, I guess it's not crazy that monetary incentives worked on for-profit companies, but it, it's wild. <laughs> if we look back at 2008, right? 9% of hospitals were actually using electronic records. Mm. In 2019, 96% of hospitals used electronic that records. That is just unreal to me. I mean, it, that is a huge it doesn't seem that long ago. <laughs> well, that's because you're old, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, that's a, that's a huge change. Nothing changes by 90%. It's healthcare. gone from like nothing to pervasive. Every yeah. single hospital, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now, I mean, when you go into the doctor's office, you know, 96% of the time, you're going to have your records on that are going to be somewhere floating in a cloud. And, you know, basically, the, again, this has prompted all sorts of new companies to start as well. Um, and more than 90 new companies, right, that are related to this kind of health data management industry have actually started since the Affordable Care Act was signed. I'm so, sure that's going to go well. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, stay tuned. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So now more healthcare data is being collected than ever before. But spoiler alert, the systems for actually managing that data are real shit show. So I think we want to get into just how this noble intent turned into a shit show. <laughs> so I don't know, Ben, do you want to talk a little bit about why this seemingly very good thing ends up as a clusterfuck. Shouldn't this be more efficient? Say, great. No. Yeah. Positive. And I think, so people don't think we're that old. Elect electronic health records are a good thing. We, we don't <laughs> want to go back to paper. I mean, paper did not make for good coordination of care either, mm -hmm, but it's mm -hmm. just how it's being used in, in our country versus countries, for example, with the universal healthcare system. So, you know, digitizing these records should have created a much more efficient system but only if it's sort of centralized across the whole country and across all providers, as it is in virtually every country that has a Medicare for all type system, single payer healthcare system. So many countries that you know have a single payer system, as you can imagine, they also have one universal electronic record system. You have one medical card, you bring it with you 
when you go to the doctor or the hospital and it connects them to your records, no matter where you go, your records are, are all accessible as long as you are giving your consent to access them. But that's not what happened here, obviously, because we're America. Everything has to be rolled out with competition and markets and all that crap. So instead of one streamlined system for managing everyone's medical records, there's just a myriad of different uh, health record vendors who just flooded the market post-ACA. All these subsidy dollars that were pumped into the market, it's like dollars were in their eyes. So everyone tried to jump in and cash in on it as soon as they could. And as you can imagine, this just resulted in kind of a patchwork, like Frankenstein type system where there are many, many different databases holding people's medical records, many of which are not interoperable. It's almost um, like a direct parallel with our patchwork Frankenstein healthcare system it, as a whole. I know. Everything mirrors each other in a frightening way. And you know what I've heard, especially from providers and, and hospital administrators, is that it, it's not that the systems aren't interoperable. I think most of them can operate with each other but they don't necessarily have permission to exchange the records. So for example, if, if you just got an x-ray, but then you end up in an emergency room at another hospital, they mm. can't access that x-ray at the other hospital, you know, very quickly in an emergency setting. So they're probably just going to repeat the procedure, which also makes them more money. So they're happy to do it anyway, but they yeah, also might not. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say that one of the things that I found out when I was looking at the uh, health record systems in countries with, uh, universal healthcare is that even in the places where they don't have one unified health record system, they have a lot of regulation to make sure that all of this is compatible and that every, you know, every hospital in the country has access to these health records, whereas we do not. Yeah. And actually access to your records is extremely important for your provider to be able to give you appropriate care. So if you've landed in an emergency room, for example, they'll know what medications you're on. Uh, they'll know not to give you uh, medications that might interact with those in a dangerous way. It's very, very important for them to have that background, but literally they can't get it in, in many settings here. And if you think it's bad for us schmoes, uh, schlubs with like the, like the, the crappy limited network plans that we've complained about in the past, ask Joe Biden. <laughs> in a 2017 meeting uh, with healthcare leaders in Washington, this is, I'm quoting from an article here. Joe Biden railed against the infuriating challenge of getting his son Bo's medical records from one hospital to another. Biden said, I was stunned when my son for a year was battling stage four glioblastoma. I couldn't get his records. I'm the vice president of the United States of America. <laughs> it was an absolute nightmare. It was ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous that we're in this circumstance. Wow. Wow. If Biden can't get his kids Yeah, we are record, all done. We are just well, all like, done for him. What chance do I have? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he was best friends with Barack Obama at that time. Doesn't yes. that get you anything? <laughs> friends with. Yeah. I mean, he was <laughs> also vice president. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, if you're wondering, well, why is it that all of these health, health record systems rolled out and they still don't work very well? Yeah. Why do they suck so bad, Ben? Well, here's a, a simple explanation. Most electronic health record systems have one performance requirement, one criteria that they're judged by, and that is generating clinical revenues for the mm. providers who are using them especially for fee-for-service, but as we've seen from Medicare Advantage plans, not just for fee-for-service, also capitated plans. That means supporting providers' billing and documentation to generate as much revenue as possible for each clinical service uh, mm. from insurance companies. 
And also they're protect, trying to protect themselves from liability and things like that, which is also a monetary thing. But that is the primary goal. And again, in a country that has universal health care, the electronic health record systems are mostly to support your health. It's to have accurate records that really help and guide providers to give you the best care that you're going to need. <laughs> Not so with our electronic health record systems. They are really the, the main thing that hospital systems and physician offices rely on to generate enough revenue for each patient that they treat. I like wonder all the time about like, <laughs> do like conservative politicians like sit in a room and be like, Haha, naive Denmark looking out for the health of its <laughs> citizens or whatever. Haha. Yeah. I mean, it's just like such crazy, I don't know, just like evil cartoon villain bullshit. Yeah. I mean, if you were, if you were designing an electronic health record system in a country with universal health care, it, it wouldn't even occur to you probably. I mean, you don't have the setting to even think about using electronic records to drive profits because there are no profits. I mean, yeah. it's just the, the whole world of motivation is different. But the fact that our electronic medical records, which are important for our health, are tied to providers' probably more important goal of generating enough revenue to either make it or to generate fantastic profits, for like especially for the for-profit institutions, means that they don't work for our health. No giant shock there that the profit of motive collides with patient care. So they are not created to support many of the things that physicians, patients, and policymakers value. I don't know, some of them maybe. <laughs> But you know, you want better care, you want reduced costs actually, you want improved care quality, you want better population health experiences. Maybe you can help people before they even end up in the hospital. But these systems were not created to make physicians better at, at, at diagnoses, not to make them more cost-effective. It, it was really just designed for, for the, the cold hard cash. So having said all that, Jillian, I know you looked a little bit into what do those negative impacts look like that these particular health record systems have on patients and the physicians who are trying to care for them as best they can. Oh my God, Ben, it is so messed up from every fucking angle. Okay, right? So like starting out with doctors, right? There was this one study where physicians actually reported that they spend 4.5 hours per day completing electronic health records. Uh, wait, Jane, remind me of how many work hour, hours there are in, in the day. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, maybe if I were making the same hour, uh, hourly as a doctor, I would work more hours, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, right? Like that's more than half. Eight, like right? 12 max? <laughs> right, right, right. So like they're spending like half or more than half of their day. And our, our friends at the Physicians for a National Health Program, they actually have commented on this. And, and uh, our friend James Kahn said, although the electronic health records can improve access to medical information, it is a data-hungry beast. <laughs> Let me just repeat that, a data-hungry beast that exacts a huge toll as measured in hours, clinical focus, communication quality, and quite likely clinical outcomes. And Jillian, if I could interject there, I mean, it sounds crazy 4.5 hours a day, but when you think about your last visit to the doctor, it kind of like jives with my experience. Like mm. usually I'm led in to the office, someone like a physician assistant or a nurse comes in first and sits in front of a computer first, facing away from me. They're talking at me, looking at the computer and they <laughs> ask a series of questions and then type into the computer. and. Even most of the active live time I'm sitting with a provider, 
they are interacting more with the electronic health record system than they are with me. Mm-hmm. So I could easily imagine it being more than half, 50% of like, even the time I'm in the room with them. I mean, honestly, it's gotten to the point now where like, I feel like even I'm doing part of this labor. Uh, right. because <clears throat> What happens when I go into the doctor is they actually hand me an iPad while I'm waiting. Right. And I, they, I do what I call quizzes, uh-huh. um, but what are actually the depression and substance abuse right, inventories. Right. Yeah. So they're basically trying to assess whether or not I'm suicidal sometimes, spoiler, <laughs> or whether or not I have a substance abuse problem. Right. Sometimes. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and they're doing it basically by having me fill out these little like uh, right. check boxes on a fucking iPad. And then that data goes into my record. So I have an important question, Jillian. Mm-hmm. Does the iPad have a good bedside manner? <laughs> does, it, <laughs> does, it, does it give you supportive feedback and you actually know, no the loving iPod really <laughs> shames me a lot actually <laughs> it has all these terrible messages Fresh. that it gives me whenever i give them my honest answers um <laughs> yeah i know uh so yeah so um yeah interacting with an ipad instead of a doctor that's mm-hmm. awesome um and doctors not shockingly don't love that and you know to kind of continue along that theme right these record systems are just not optimized for patient care, right? So they've made it easier to engage in one of our favorite practices, which is upcoding. Ben, can you just give like a 30 second exposition of what okay. uh, explanation of what upcoding is? Because we talk about it so much. Yeah, we talked about this in the Medicare Advantage episode, but I won't assume everyone listened to that. Um, especially <laughs> especially when insurance, insurance companies are paying doctors or hospitals not based on like per procedure, but are paying them just one fixed amount for the patient all year. It, it creates this incredible incentive to, to code a patient with a diagnosis that they don't really have, or maybe they have at a much you know, more minor level because you get paid more for treating patients with more serious issues. Mm-hmm. So they'll claim you're a diabetic when you had a blood sugar issue once a long time ago, but you've never had diabetes, you know, like totally inappropriate diagnoses that really are actually the opposite of good for your care, but they generate more revenue. So this is what upcoding is called. And electronic health record systems are whole record systems are designed just to help with upcoding and to guide the provider into like, well, could not you diagnose this as a little bit more serious of an issue based on what you saw there? It's also bad for for patient care because you end up with false medical records, essentially, which is the opposite of what this is all about. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Terrific. That's sarcasm for those who don't (laughs) speak sarcasm. Yeah. And then, okay. So then the final kind of uh, one piece of this, right, is the, uh, is like data privacy and security, right? Like if you can think about like how many data breaches there have been of like, stores, credit card receipts, and websites, uh, yada, 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 right? Like all of that happens in the electronic health uh, record industry as well. And so in 2015 alone, right, uh, 113 million people were impacted by breaches of electronic health record data. 113 million, that's insane. That's like half the country almost. Yeah, wild, (laughs) wild, wild. Um, so yeah, so long story short, things are really not looking good, but 
we see this in like even more direct ways. And I know Ben, that you looked into some of those examples, including one from your own life. Yeah, you know, it's funny. We we picked this topic out of the hat a little bit, but I had like a medical records issue myself like less than a month ago. I have, this is, I guess we're entering the over-disclosure section of the, the podcast. But I, I, I had a few years ago, I had a, a precancerous polyp removed from my colon. It's not a, a terrible thing. It just means I have to get colonoscopies way more earlier and more often than I normally would, which sucks, but I'm actually kind of glad they found it early. Um, it's much better than having cancer, colon cancer uh, and not having it found. Yeah, bonus. But it, it turns out that this is, you know, a potential risk for my brother. If they found a early uh, precancerous polyp in, for me, then maybe my, my brother should be getting tested earlier and more frequently as well. He's younger than I am. My brother's doctor asked for the medical records from the biopsy that I had <laughs> uh, <laughs> when they removed the polyp. So first thing I did was ask if my doctors could transfer the records to his doctors. They said, no, they're not allowed to do that under any circumstances, basically. I can't even give them permission to transfer it to, to, the, to his doctors. So I have to get the records myself. But that meant I had to remember, you know, <laughs> on which date the procedure was, when they removed it, what year, what day. Because there was this, only this tiny little form that said on which date it was and what records do you want. Mm -hmm. There's not even like half a sentence worth space to put in an explanation. And, and I don't remember. And your I'm assuming, was not such a memorable experience that you wrote it down in your calendar or <laughs> your diary. I, I mean, it was years It was years ago, so I can't remember exactly when it was. I, and I went on my health, health record system. You know, we have a thing we log in. It's called my chart. Um, and you can kind of see your own records, but they only go back like one year or two, even though I've been in this system for much, much longer than that. So I, I, so far, I've not been able to get my own health records, um, which might help support my brother's health. So anyway, that's my little rant about how shitty these record systems are. But this article that Kaiser Health News uh, put out called Death from a Thousand Clicks that had my story is just the tip of the iceberg and not nearly that bad compared to what other folks have gone through. So this article tells a story of Annette Monicelli. Annette went to the doctor multiple times complaining of head pain, typical of a brain aneurysm. So the do doctor ordered a brain scan, but the lab never received the order due to a bug in the electronic <gasps> health record. And she died just days later. Aww. Now, this might seem like a horrible mistake, just like a one-off, but the company who created it, eClinical Works, was the subject of an official federal investigation in 2015, which revealed that the whole health record system barely worked. Eesh. The software failed to detect negative drug interactions, which is like yeah. job number one of electronic health record system. It could not reliably order lab tests or diagnostic images, and it would accidentally display notes for the wrong patient profile, causing the wrong drugs to be prescribed. Now they- so They shut down this company, right? Of course, right? Well, almost. <laughs> 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 they paid a slap on the wrist, $155 million settlement mm -hmm. to the government, mm -hmm. but eClinical Works is still fully functional and profitable to this day. Lovely mm -hmm. story with a nice moral and uh, the good guy wins in the end. Fucking um, over patients <laughs> pays, it turns out. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I won't tell a million of these stories because they're, they're super depressing, but they also, I think we, we might think of health records as like kind of a very clinical, boring thing, but it turns out, it can kill you to have these systems not working for patients and instead be, you know, 
uh, oriented towards generating profits for providers. So uh, another story that the article talked about was Fabian Roniski, and he was suffering from severe headaches and a fever. His doctor kind of suspected maybe meningitis, and so he ordered a spinal tap through the hospital's multi-million dollar health record system. And <laughs> this is the... It's hard to be funny in the middle of a story like this, but the system was run by Epic Systems Corp, which <laughs> to me sounds like something out of a Batman movie. It's, yeah. it's like, you know, you're going to be evil as soon as you name yourself Epic Systems Corp, <laughs> um, which as of 2019, by the way, Epic Systems Corp stored medical records for 78% of patients in the US. So when you listen to this story, you were basically in the same system, probably. So that electronic records software cannot fully interface with the lab software. And so the order for the spinal tap was never sent to the lab. His diagnosis was delayed for days. And during that time, he suffered irreversible brain damage. Oh, sweet so, Jesus. Yeah, this is like how high the stakes are with these health record systems uh, not working and not being really designed for patients or being able to work across, you know, the many, many electronic systems that we have in our, our healthcare system. Mm. So Jillian, surely, surely Congress has not allowed <laughs> the massive growth of this new industry that is like barely functioning to go unregulated. There's gotta be something that no matter how inadequate that has been done to regulate them and hold them accountable. What do we have to cling to here in terms of mm. like oversight? To quote a wise man, something, no matter how inadequate. So the HIPAA, which is the law that actually regulates uh, your data privacy, your healthcare data privacy, and the High Tech Act that we were mentioning before, they're basically intended to guard your privacy and uh, to make sure that the data is secure. However, we've seen, you know, some problems there. <laughs> there are also many policies that are actually designed to keep these privacy violations and so software failures out of the public eye. Mm. Um, so I just wanted to mention that, that like- So it's it probably worse it than we know. Exactly, exactly, right? Because these electronic health records vendors, they often have gag closes, mm. uh, clauses on their buyers to discourage like speaking out about safety issues, right? It's like the health records equivalent of an NDA. There have been lawsuits against a lot of these electronic health record companies, and most of them settle out of court with uh -huh. these strict confidentiality pledges. And <laughs> to begin with, most of these vendors have hold harmless clauses in their agreements that actually protect them from liability if a hospital is sued for a medical error. Huh. Even Misery. if it was clearly their fault. Like probably both those stories I, I talked yeah. about. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's pretty uh, a pretty sweet get out of jail free card, uh, mm -hmm. a hold harmless clause. So, mm -hmm. I mean, the the important thing for our purposes here, though, is to remember that the the real payoff of all of this analysis, right, is that if we had Medicare for all, we could actually have one unified healthcare system. And we could have a unified health record system. That would mean that, you know, all of our doctors could actually get access to our records, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I don't think there's anything, there's nothing inherently wrong with electronic health record systems across the whole system. The problem is all these competing systems that don't work with each other and are not really designed for patient care. 
is long story short. Mm -hmm. And I kind of feel like this is something I, I've tossed around a few times, but a lot of what we might think of as like an incremental win, policy win towards Medicare for all is not that much of an incremental win just because it doesn't really challenge the politics of the healthcare system or it's not something you'd have to put into place, you know, all, anyway to have Medicare for all. But I, I kind of feel like you could pass a universal health record system in the United mm. States as like an incremental, like actual step towards Medicare for all. But that could happen. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, this is just one of the many industries we're going to have to take on and win, uh, but we will. Can you believe, I mean, like, it's just so messed up that we've gotten to the point in this country where like, not only do they own everything else, but they own our health history as well. I know. I can't, I don't even have my own health history. <laughs> That's the sad part. <laughs> Someone oh, has it. It's man. just not me. Well, so I want to thank the podcast team, mm -hmm. uh, without which could not have done this. And happy 2023 to them again. Our podcast manager, Angelique Davis. Our researcher for this episode was Sophia Simeon. Our audio editor uh, was Arena Budanova. Our show notes writer, Jerry Katz. And I want to remind you to you know, subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you use. This is a project of the Healthcare Now Education Fund. So if you want to support our work, support this podcast in the future, you can make a donation at healthcare-now.org. So thanks so much, everyone. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Stay safe. Stay dangerous. 